The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now, here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Well, good morning to all of you from the beautiful and even actually reasonably dry and almost sunny Pacific Northwest, and welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I am your host, Nora Gadgaudis, and we're here today to talk about the brain, our human brain, and how it actually connects to the soul, or in perhaps less spiritual terms, how brain training can either enhance in us um, or reveal maybe the parts of us that actually make us the most human. Is it possible to awaken compassion in the coldest and most hardened among us? Is it possible to maybe save the world <laughs> from the dehumanizing impact of technology and corporate politics and overpopulation and that modern dog-eat-dog survivalist mentality, one brain at a time? Well, years, years ago, I worked in a charter school setting, as some of you know, doing neurofeedback for kids who were pretty severely challenged in, in a number of ways. Um, and one such boy that I will never forget. Um, I've talked about him on the show before, and I keep going back to it because it's the first time I ever saw this uh, this kind of transformation in someone. But I, I have no way of knowing where he is or what he's doing today, but he must be in his late teens by now. Um, but I'm sure that whatever he's doing, he's a force for good in the world. And he's a force for good because brain training woke up something in this boy that moves me to this day. The very first time this boy, Patrick, walked into the neurofeedback clinic, he brought with him a history of rages, of a cold and manipulative temperament, and someone who already had, at about seven years old, a background of violence and sadistic behavior toward animals and other children. He was connected to nobody and cared about nothing. I mean, this kid suffered from something psychologists refer to as reactive attachment disorder. Now, a person with reactive attachment disorder is the sort of person who can walk up to you in the street, maybe put a gun to your head, pull the trigger, and feel nothing. These are the sociopaths of our society. Now, there are no drugs to treat them. No real psychological intervention can reach them because they just simply cannot connect, and psychological intervention is dependent on connection in order to be able to reach now, historically, nothing has ever really worked with reactive attachment. Now, these individuals simply fill up our residential treatment facilities and prisons, and they walk the streets, some of them, lining in line corporate boardrooms or seek positions of power in our society. Um, they can walk all over anyone, put a, you know, put a knife in their backs and get a good night's sleep. 
Now, psychologists believe that reactive attachment is caused by a lack of maternal bonding at a key developmental period, maybe between the ages of zero and three. For whatever reason, mom wasn't there, whether she was strung out on heroin, whether she skipped town, was working three jobs. But in the vulnerable infant brain is dependent on that maternal connection for its development, specifically for the development of the right hemisphere of the brain, something called the right orbitoprefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that regulates affect and emotion, the parts of our brain responsible for the capacity to bond, to connect, to experience empathy and social conscience. In short, the very things that make us the most human, that give our existence meaning in relation to our fellow human beings and to ourselves. Well, as an infant, the only emotion available in the context of reactive attachment is that of terror. And as they get older, the only genuine emotion they're capable of is rage. No amount of love can penetrate that wall that is right hemispheric brain in overdrive. Trying to create warmth in that kind of person is like trying to light a candle in the fury of a hurricane. Well, that was this kid, and that was Patrick. The very first time he got hooked up for brain training, he ripped the electrodes off his head and proceeded to trash the office. This kid was very nearly removed from the program. And after months of neurofeedback training, this boy was in an entirely different human being. There was a sweetness that emerged in him and a more thoughtful nature. And I remember one day I asked him if he ever thought about what he would like to be someday. And he said, yeah, you know, I think about that a lot. He said, I'd really like to be a police officer. I want to help people. Well, this was not the same boy. Um, a soul had somehow emerged in him where it had seemed entirely absent. The last time I ever saw him, I knew it was going to be the last time because of the way the schedules were changing and whatnot. And I wanted him to know the impact he'd had on me. I said to him, I said, I just want you to know how incredibly special you are. You know, you've come so far and you've been such an inspiration to me. I know that whatever you become in life, you're going to do great things. I just wanted to tell him that. And he said to me, you know, everybody tells me that. Well, here today to talk with us more about the transformative and humanistic power of neurofeedback is a familiar friend to the show, uh, to my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, and to me personally. His name is Dr. Mark Steinberg. Now, Mark Steinberg uh, is a Ph.D. licensed psychologist and educational psychologist who heals and remediates attentional, behavioral, emotional, and, and learning difficulties with children, adolescents, and adults, and he's done this for about 35 years. He was voted the best therapist of 2000, and justifiably so, by Bay Area Parent Magazine readers. He specializes in clinical, educational, and neuropsychology. Mark has also made numerous appearances nationally on television and radio, at least a couple of which have been with me, uh, including TV appearances on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. He's the author of the popular book, ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, and a forthcoming book, Living Intact, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times. He is consulted as a medical expert by NBC, and he has won local and statewide awards. Mark has also written the foreword, in case some of you recognize his name, to my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind. And I am honored and pleased to welcome my dear friend, Mark Steinberg, to this show. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Nora. Thank you. What a, what a great introduction. Yes, thanks. I'm not, I'm not referring to me. I'm referring to the introduction you gave to neurofeedback and how it... Um, 
is just amazing, almost miraculous in, in turning people around. And uh, Yeah, it sure can it be. I mean, I, I know I just told the story of a more extreme case, and I've actually got, I mean, I have a whole pile of those stories to tell. Sure. But what we're talking about today isn't just about transforming reactive attachment disorder, is it? I mean, we're talking about something maybe a bit more basic. I mean, how do you, Mark, define the term compassion? Compassion involves feelings of sympathy for the vulnerability or suffering of others, uh, often including a desire to help. And these feelings translate into choices and behaviors by which you can alter your responses to um, what normally might be perceived as affronts. You know, me, I didn't deserve this. Uh, <clears throat> someone's rude to you. A driver cuts you off. Someone... It's in your way in line. You have to navigate telephone system. All, all the little injustices in life that um, just get in the way and and uh, <clears throat> make primitive emotions just make you self-justified and feel entitled and angry. Yeah. So uh, compassion is kind of the antidote or the opposite to that stuff. Well, how do you see compassion connected with... Um you know, because it seems like sort of a uh, kind of a kind of sort of a general term. How do you see it connected with actual treatment for physical or emotional symptoms? Uh, good question. Compassion is something that people experience. Most people experience uh, routinely. Some people experience it occasionally when they're really stressed out. I mean, compassion is just empathy feeling for others uh, in the cases that you cited at the beginning of the show where people are just rageful and, and uh, it's like trying to light a candle in the middle of a, a furious storm, they might not be in touch with compassion, but, but most of us experience compassion just not, not routinely. So the idea is that when you feel better, you're not so preoccupied with your own pain and suffering. You can connect with others. You have more ability, energy, and strength to be concerned about the welfare of others. So quite naturally, when you're feeling better and up to snuff, when your physical and emotional symptoms subside, uh, you're more sensitive, you're more perceptive, you're more tuned in, you're, you're more the self that you want to be. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I see neurofeedback on a regular basis, kind of putting people, um, they're either sort of brooding, in themselves, they're very self-absorbed in that narcissistic sort of way, as as you know, is sort of typical of, of depression. Uh, or they're just so caught up in uh, you know minute-to-minute uh, you know craziness and survival and uh, their harried schedule or whatever else that they just cannot really tap into how they actually feel about anything. And you know, I regularly see neurofeedback doing such an incredible job of sort of winding people down and putting them back in, in their bodies. Right, right. We, we live in a very over-aroused society. Yeah, you uh, think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, over-aroused doesn't necessarily have uh, erotic connotations. It, it just means you, you're triggered. You're like um, a car engine that's racing too fast and just burning, burning, burning and, you know, just screeching off the line. And that... That makes people overly sensitive. That makes people take things the wrong way, misperceive the motivations of others, at the extreme feel a little paranoid. Um, and uh, part of the solution, big part of the solution, is just calming, tamping down the nervous system 
and returning to the person the the sort of biological factory settings of being able to self-soothe. <laughs> yeah, nice that the manual came with those settings too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, the, the the manual is in the software of the brain. Right. I mean, we have this ability with plasticity and. Uh, Neurofeedback invokes this marvelous combination of digital computer technology with the biorhythms and, and, and phys, you know, physics that run the universe. It, yeah, it's an irony in a way that we have this, you know, that here we're using this sort of cold technology to, uh, you know, to restore, you know, sort of our humanity in a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, well, it, it's it's not cold when when people connect to it and and make make it their own. Uh, amazing thing that I've witnessed thousands of times, and, and you have, and other practitioners have too, is that people who normally can't connect or pay attention, people who are very defensive, even autistic people who typically can't you know pay attention, or people with severe ADD. Young kids, even they sit down and and they look at the computer screen, and that's a manifestation of their own brain there, and they just become riveted, yeah. riveted to them to themselves and their own functioning. Yeah, that's what yeah. The brain is brain is easily the most narcissistic entity in the universe. <laughs> well, maybe a close second to the conscious mind part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking, speaking of which, if, if, if I can interject, <laughs> you may. There's this, there's this entity we all have. This little voice in the brain uh, it goes by many names. I, I happen to call it the narrative. It's that little interpreter, that little White House press secretary, that's <laughs> constantly parading around the, uh, you know, the party line of the administration. And we all have this, and and sometimes we think it's really who we are, but it's incredibly reactive to our physiological state. And when our physiological state changes, our opinions and our perceptions about things change. And that's what neurofeedback is so effective at, at consolidating. It, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it, it, it radically alters people's uh, perceptions. It doesn't change who they are. It just changes, you know, to some degree, their relationship with themselves and, of course, their relationship with their environment. Um, yeah, we talk, we talk about being friends with your brain, becoming friends with your brain, so it's your ally. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, I, you know, I, I've undergone uh, personally some fairly profound transformation, having undergone neurofeedback training myself a number of years ago for you know depression and anxiety and panic, you know, disorders and things. And I'm tempted to say that you know that it made me a different person, but what I think it's more accurate to say that this was a process that really helped me become more of who I already am and and basically to put it maybe a little more crudely just sort of help me get the heck out of my own way mm-hmm. which is ultimately you know uh, what it seems to be about for most things mm-hmm. well we're coming up on our first break here so I want to encourage everybody here to stick around because we've got a fascinating discussion ahead with Dr. Mark Steinberg and uh, we're talking today about compassion and the role of brain training in allowing compassion to emerge so you're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. My name is Nora Gaudis, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgoudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgoudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgoudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show. And we are talking today with Dr. Mark Steinberg. And uh, we're, we're discussing the whole issue of brain training as a way of sort of cultivating and enhancing the parts of us that make us the most human. And fundamentally, we're talking about the issue of compassion. Now, Mark, you, you talk about this concept of, of vulnerability in, in relation to treatment and developing self-control and coping mechanisms. How is this related to compassion? Let's talk about vulnerability and then tie that to coping and yeah, compassion and, and how people experience that. So um, it, we're all born with vulnerabilities. Uh, psychologists and physicians and researchers talk about whether things are the environment or genetics and all that stuff, whether you can do stuff about it, as, as if if you're born with something, you can't, you can't do anything about it. Right. Um, I believe that probably 90 to 95% of what we've got is genetic, but that doesn't mean we can't uh, do anything about it. You know, you just look at what happened to your parents and how they got sick and what they died from and that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's in line for you, maybe not early in life, maybe later in life, maybe not at all. But those are your weak links. So, for example, some people are susceptible to anemia. Some people are susceptible to diabetes, to heart disease, to migraines, to allergies. This doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to develop. 
but it's it's a weak link. Right. And many people are susceptible to uh, thought problems or self-justification. I mean, it's it's almost a human trait, but it becomes activated um, as we grow. Uh, people can be susceptible to sleep problems or attention disorders, those kinds of things. So I call these vulnerabilities. Uh, they're genetic predispositions to illness, poor coping, sensitivity to events and substances we come across in life, including traumas. So when we learn to protect against and overcome our vulnerabilities by lifestyle, <clears throat> by certain treatment, by choices, uh, by awareness, we're in a much better position to understand and attend to the needs of others. Uh, now, um, a specific vulnerability, and you, you really touched on this in the introduction to the show, specific vulnerability that many people have comes from early neglect yeah. during the bonding period in infancy. Now, be, be clear, I'm not talking about early experiences in childhood that traditional psychotherapy tries to target, such as bringing to awareness things you resented as a youngster. I'm referring to the actual or perceived lack of attention and soothing when you were utterly dependent upon your mother the first few months. During this critical bonding period, your mother may have been absent physically or psychologically. As you said, maybe she was a drug addict, you know, maybe kids were put in orphanages, maybe she had to work two jobs, or maybe you, not you personally, Nora. Right, no, no, I have a cat. <laughs> but but, but yeah. maybe you, one, was uh, a difficult kid. Maybe you were colicky, maybe your mom was overwhelmed and stressed and, and she put you down. Maybe you didn't feel that she got enough attention um, not in a conscious way, but in a neurological way. Right. And and so uh, your mom needed breaks from you. Your mom wasn't available. Uh, and Maybe so, she uh, read a little too much of Dr. Spock and left you alone in her room <laughs> crying all day long. <laughs> right, but, but the idea is that your brain and nervous system somehow had, had gaps in developing the ability to self-soothe. Now, what this translates to as we develop in life is is a guardedness, a defensiveness, uh, you know, a, a difficulty letting people in. Okay, then then what happens? A kid teases you in the schoolyard. A teacher calls on you and you're not prepared. You know, a, a date rejects you. And, you, uh, you know, life is tough and you learn to not trust people and this just feeds into this guardedness and life kind of steals us to look out for me, number one. And, and so then you're ripe for when someone cuts in line in front of you, when someone gives you the finger on the freeway, and uh, our society reinforces this me, 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 and, you know, I'm entitled to put me first and get back, and it's all feeding into this vulnerability of the nervous system. Yeah. Now, this is also tied with some of the physiological symptoms that you um, described before. Uh, emotional insensitivity, uh, sleep problems, you, you can get tense, you can get headaches, you right. can jack up your cortisol levels, uh, you know, all, all unconsciously. So what we do with neurofeedback is train the brain and, and more often the right hemisphere to, uh, to just cool down and to do it on its own and to not get provoked. By everything in life. It, it's so tempting, I think, for people to look upon all of the symptoms. I mean, nobody ever walks into our offices with, with you know, just one symptom. And it's always just, there's a little bit of a laundry list. Right, there's a, and, there's a cluster. Yeah, and people tend to look upon those symptoms as being sort of independent, compartmentalized from one another. Well, you know, I get headaches, I also have trouble sleeping at night, and oh, by the way, 
I can't, I can't focus very well and I'm super anxious and, you know, and they see all those things as separate. And of course, as neurofeedback people, we, we have a way of, of, of seeing that as part of, uh, of sort of a constellation, exactly. I guess, if you will, of, of how that nervous system just happens to be configured. Yeah, yeah. Can I bring a little bit of uh, down-to-earth levity into this? Oh, by by all means, okay. please. First, first of all, a bit of trivia, okay? I mean, it just, you know, the universe works out this way. On the radio early this morning, I heard that today is the uh, 65th anniversary of when Superman met Batman. Isn't that cool? When Superman met Batman. Yeah, huh? yeah. What relevance is that? I can't have remember to... what I, you know. Yeah, well, like... that, that was before. Not quite like the Kennedy uh, thing. I can't right. quite remember where I was, but. But uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a superhero fan. But the reason I bring it up is because we're talking about vulnerabilities, right? Right. And when you think about Superman, you think about kryptonite, <laughs> right? And we don't have to get sure. too far into the Star Trekky thing, but but vulnerabilities are what we have that are a weak link, like Superman's kryptonite. And we may always have those vulnerabilities. We may always have those predispositions. But they don't have to be activated. Right. And that's what uh, is so cool about girding up your brain. And when you're talking about clusters of symptoms, you know, I, I have uh, in my practice, I, I treat um, uh, people who come from brilliant corners of the world, you know, a lot of engineers and, and a lot of um, high-functioning managers and CEOs in, in Silicon Valley companies. And, and some of them will say to me, can you adjust the computer settings to help him with his social studies homework? <laughs> right. And I, I suppose maybe sometime in the future we'll get that laser specific, but, you know, I, I have to uh, cover my, my mirth and explain seriously that we're helping the brain as a whole, and while we can target certain convergent and logical capacities, when, when the brain function becomes integrated, when the hemispheres are working together, uh, the child's natural ability and attention to recall and expand upon what he's learned will, will happen. So there's no specific setting that I know of for social studies or math, but there are settings to take people down from under arousal, to activate their brain, uh, to help uh, digestive function, uh, to help them calm down so they don't have to interrupt people and so forth. Right, right. Well, you know, let's let's talk about um, choice a little bit here. Now, as, as of course, helping professionals, we're always trying to put people in a position to make better choices, uh, to have maybe more realistic options and better flexibility. Do you see compassion as a choice? Yes, I do see it as a choice. However, right, there's always a modifier. Huh? However. Like many other behaviors, feelings, and thoughts, choice is influenced by the probabilities of what you've done before. Uh That's why it's so important to develop the lifestyle mechanisms that help you make uh, good choices. And if I may expand upon this. You may. um, It it, it seems to me a fundamental and critical uh, philosophical dividing line what what people believe about um, will and choice. And, uh, you know, Dr. Othmer and I touched on this in our ADD book, um, Chapter 8. Great book. (laughs) Thank you. The Cult of the Neurotransmitter, you know, because we're always hearing about, well, it's a chemical imbalance. Right. But, but, you know, sleep and hunger and fatigue and ambition and desire, they're all chemical imbalances, but but to somehow manage correctly, 
So what what is the deal with choice? If someone picks up a rifle and shoots someone, yeah, that's a choice. But there are also things that, that predisposed him uh, to not be able to smother that or, or divert it and so forth. Uh, I'm not excusing him. Right. Okay. So uh, my new book actually is... There are is, reasons and there are excuses. Sure, sure. So I'm really into choice, and my new book is entitled Living Intact, Challenge, and Choice in Tough Times. And the sub, what the subtitle means is that we're constantly facing challenges. Uh, on a microcosm, we're, we're training people neurologically to deal with challenges moment by moment. In neurofeedback, that's the circuit training. Every second and a half, we're challenging the brain to do something different and better and adaptive and reinforcing. And in the larger environment, we're challenging people to make uh, better choices. So uh, people want to know, parents want to know, is he responsible for what he does? You know, can, can he can right. he be in charge of it? And the answer is he's ultimately accountable for what he does. But by training the brain and putting people more in self-control, we empower people to uh, to make better choices. We empower people to be in touch with compassion for the other person. And this type of response, uh, in turn, usually elicits a softening in others. Yeah, I see so often... Um you know, behavior in children and and, uh, and adults um, that, you know, difficult people, seemingly difficult people, that we would be inclined to maybe be a little judge, or some people might be inclined to be a little judgmental about. And doing what I do, all I can base how, the way that I look upon it is is seeing somebody who's essentially a prisoner in their own nervous systems. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have to take a, a short break here, and we are going to be back in just a couple minutes. Uh, we're here today with Mark Steinberg, and we are talking about the issue of compassion. So please stick around. We will be back very shortly. I'm Nora Gaudis, and you're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. 
Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join host Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to the show. And we're fortunate here today to have Dr. Mark Steinberg with us. He's author of ADD, The 20-Hour Solution, and he is also author of a hopefully very soon forthcoming book, Living Intact, Challenge and Choice in Tough Times. And, of course, these are a bit uh, tough times for a great many people. Um, so, Mark, let's kind of describe the process of how neurofeedback helps people, say, develop compassion, how exactly you know, we, can we address things like defensiveness, anger, self-justification, and insensitivity through neurofeedback. Sure. Uh, this is a fantastic concept, and in in my practice, uh, to give you an example, when I'm dealing with kids, I tell them and their parents, well, you play these specialized video games. They're, they're not like the ones you play at home, but they're pretty cool, and you have these sensor electrodes <clears throat> hooked up to your brain, and you know what's going to happen? In a few weeks, your mom is going to get a whole lot nicer. And your <laughs> <laughs> it really does. So, how does this go down? <laughs> to understand how brainwave training can possibly make you more compassionate, you need to relate some, to some basic information on how the brain processes emotion and thought. The substructures of our brains are housed in the left and right hemispheres. And they, they function distinctly and they interact. Each, each one has its own job. Many people have at least one hemisphere that is underdeveloped or functioning in a compromised manner. And factors such as genetics, deprivation, faulty learning, injury can stunt or alter the development of empathy and compassion as well as other you know, important functions, uh, even the, the ability to learn. The brain's right hemisphere does most of the processing of emotional information and primitive subbrain perception and response. When this hemisphere is functioning with limited capacity, uh, the results can include anger, impulsivity, sensitivity, aggression, really overt selfishness, irritability, and the inhibition of empathy and compassion. So it's it's kind of like one engine in the plane isn't isn't really working correctly. Right. What neurofeedback does um, almost always is it calms the brain and sensitizes the right hemisphere appropriately when we know to target that. We know that by by people's activity and their symptoms. With this training, people become more amicable, more socially appropriate, more understanding, more empathetic. 
emotional sensitivity and compassion go hand in hand with with perceptual awareness and a reduction in the fight or flight response that uh, so often keeps the right hemisphere uh, vigilant, distant, and defensive. And I want to talk about this before the show is over in terms of its its community and global impact. But anyway, yeah, yeah, one yeah. one brain at a time. So when when someone does neurofeedback training, the the people in his or her life often report that the person becomes far less argumentative and much more cooperative. Now we don't muzzle the person, we don't drug right. them, but the brain the brain calms down. The the neurofeedback trainee frequently is reported to uh, <laughs> quote unquote lose interest in arguing, <laughs> and and so there's less frequent argue, arguing and less intense opposition and quarrels. Um, sometimes we describe this turnabout as having the wind go out of the sails in, in the middle of a dispute. See, so right. the, the person just gives up trying to dominate and prevail. It's just it's right. no longer interesting because. The brain doesn't need that juice. Right. See, and by contrast, motivation and persistence toward productive and cooperative behaviors and endeavors simultaneously increases. And, and one other thing, uh, attention improves when you're not in fight-or-flight mode. You, know, you can't learn stuff, you can't digest when you're running away from tigers. Absolutely. They're actual. Yes, yes. Um, no, you can't. And, and yeah, I, I, completely, um, I completely agree with you. It's... it's you know, so much of it is helping people kind of wind down and become more comfortable in their own skin. I mean, I think that right. sometimes uh, this lashing out business is just sort of, uh, uh, you know, it, it's like their nervous system is, is rubbing on them like sandpaper. Yes. There's there's an agitation there. Yes, and they, they don't see that. People don't see that as part of themselves. They, they externalize it, and they see, right. well, of course, it's in the environment. So when you when you get more awareness, when you get more composure, you, you begin to see that as your own stuff. It's just uh, it's marvelous, and that's what really true self-development and actualization is. Yeah. Now, you and I have talked about something uh, uh, called sort of righteous indignation, and, of course, for the listeners... In the audience, you're not going to find this uh, term in the medical textbook. Yes, yet. Now, of course, this is a Dr. Steinberg term. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, I, I know, I know myself. As, yes, as yes. we become older, we become more, more like uh, ourselves. So, yeah, right. You, you say it enough times, it'll, you know, maybe you'll, it'll, it'll end up in the DSM four. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. You know, about, about 20 maybe years ago, I, I wrote medication <clears throat> for you. Yeah, about 20 years ago, I wrote uh, an article called "The Serious Problem of Dysgraphia." And this graffiti is the inability to see the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> and, you know, and I had people calling me from different states, you know, trying to, they, oh, my son has that diagnosis. But, you know, so righteous indignation, or RI, is, is kind of like this. And it's, it's something I've struggled with my whole life, uh, including an addiction to sarcasm. But yeah. I better keep that from your show. So, so anyway, what, what that is a euphemism for, righteous indignation, is um, a kind of a sense of empowerment that comes from self-justification and defensiveness and, and entitlement. You know, I don't deserve to be treated this way. Mm-hmm. How dare they do this to me? You know, uh, my mother told me I was special. You know, I, I'm too important to be ignored. You know, it's just this right. stuff. I mean, you don't have to be totally narcissistic to have some of it. It comes with the territory. You know, you were born with it, and then you fed it, and it becomes delicious you know it's it's sort of 
part of the human condition to stoke yourself up with pride and anger and that sort of stuff. And it, it doesn't really feel good, but somehow it becomes a, a, a sort of a home base of the brain. You know, I, I don't know whether you've run across people in your, your practice who tell you they, they eat until they can't eat anymore, and it doesn't feel good, but they just do it because, you know, they just do it. And it sort of right. quells anxiety, and it becomes like a home base, even though it hurts. Self-medicating, yeah. yeah exa- exactly, and you can self-medicate with, with indignation, and the world, you know, fronts me and, uh, and so forth. And, you know, I, I, I believe that we are called to love other people regardless of whether or not they're lovable. And that's that's a tall order. And uh, I know that I can't do that on my own. I, I need some help. And I need some help from my brain. Yeah, some some I, days it takes a hookup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the really cool thing is that, uh, I mean, I can speak for myself. I see this in other people, but I, I certainly know this in myself, that I, I was bred to be verbal, to, to be quick, to use logic, you know, to, to sort of get through the world in, in that um, linear fashion. And I'm good at it. But the problem is that when you're trying to persuade other people of your point of view, it, it's hard to step out of your own way. Yeah. So when you can be quiet, be quiet inside and, and be quiet outside and just acknowledge and accept, it, it doesn't mean give in, it doesn't mean admit, it doesn't mean be wimpy. It just means get out of the way. What that allows other people to do is to see their own stuff. Right. You know, you know, they're fighting air because you're not resisting. And I, I mean, I don't mean this to sound, you know, ethereal or zen-like. It's, it's very, very practical. So when I uh, can recognize, I'm speaking in the first person, but I'm also speaking collectively as, you know, the collective right brain. Mm-hmm. When, when we can recognize that we're reacting, um, right. and and we have some choice about whether to react. And that choice can be based on the, the ability to calm down. That choice can be based on some learning about the probability of outcomes. Well, if I respond this way, here's what's likely to happen because it's happened in the past. So why don't I try something else that might work better? That's, that's self-control, and that goes hand-in-hand with compassion. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you've suggested, and I, and I, and I think I've suggested before, because um, I certainly see this potential that, Neurofeedback could really play, I think, an important role in, in global communities and social sensitivity. Um, of course, you know, I, I immediately have visions of, of hooking up politicians, <laughs> cranking up the voltage. Yeah. You know, the machine breaks down. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I, I'm not sure that um, any of them can make sense without <laughs> ar- arousing the defensive, you know, b- bipartisan sentiments exactly, of, yeah. of, of listeners. But to, to be specific, um, I, I, I get most of this focused thinking from um, readings on Zen and from listening to people like the Dalai Lama. And what I'm what I'm talking about specifically is, I recognize in myself, and I see in other people, the the delicious self satisfaction of getting worked up. Okay. Right. I know from my clinical work, and I know from my years in developmental psychology, that when people get worked up, it becomes a habit, and it becomes like a runaway train. You know, you elevate your cortisol levels, you become stressed, and, and it becomes the, the new normal. 
And I, I see this happening in global politics as well as in communities because the, the problem, I'm, I'm not talking like a pacifist here, I'm, I'm talking like a neuropsychologist. The problem with aggression is that it just accelerates. Yep. And then it, it lights up the next guy who's got his own issues, and then you have to defend, and, and, and the whole darn thing just accelerates like a, you know, like a car down a San Francisco hill without brakes. Right. And at some point, if you can intervene and, and stop that acceleration, you can become more human. You can acknowledge the other person and recognize differences without being emotionally reactive. Now, this doesn't mean you have to buy or believe what the other guy or the other country has to offer, but you don't have to get crazy about it. Yeah, and there's a whole heck of a lot of crazy out there. Yeah. You know, that you know, begin. You know, we point out that uh, we live in a, in a in a on a very global scale in an extremely over aroused world and when you're in that state of abject over arousal it's you're you're in fight or flight you're about your own survival you're not necessarily concerned with anyone else sure. and uh, neurofeedback is a wonderful way of winding that down well mark we have to go to another commercial break um and so we're going to do that and then we're going to come back and uh we might shift gears ever so slightly uh and uh, talk a little bit about health um but anyway, we're here today with Dr. Mark Steinberg. I am Nora Gedgaudis, and you are listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Please stick around. We will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. 
Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back, everybody. I've got Dr. Mark Steinberg here today, and we've spent most of this hour talking about the brain and talking about specifically the training the brain to enhance what's most human inside of us. And uh, when we were on break, uh, Mark and I were chatting, and uh, there was, uh, you know, we Mark raised an interesting uh, point about the whole issue of, you know, cognitive, um, uh, you know, brain training and cognitive function, and and how training the right brain can sort of impact, uh, you know, cognitive functioning and, and IQ. So, take it away, Mark. Okay, well, uh, as you mentioned, I've been in this business for 35 years, uh, actually uh, several related businesses as a neuropsychologist, educational psychologist, and, and clinical psychologist. And uh, something I do a lot of and am very interested in is measurement. So I give neuropsychological evaluations, I give IQ tests, and so forth. And, you know, we, we were taught for, I mean, many years that IQ is something that you're given. You, you can't really do anything about it. And some people have, you know, more IQ than other people. And the interesting thing is that we find that IQ can improve through a number of different things, including neurofeedback. Yes. Uh, we're coming up on a 20-year anniversary of uh, Michael Tanzi's research showing that in mildly uh, <clears throat> impaired youngsters, um, he showed a 23-point uh, increase in IQ scores. Right. Now, now you know the dyed in the wool shrinks say, well, this this can't be done, but it was done. Uh, Siegfried Osmer's research has replicated it, and my informal work has replicated it also. So we can make people smarter through neurofeedback. Now, what relation does that have to uncovering the soul and developing compassion? Well, let's stitch this together. You mentioned before the collection of symptoms, you know, attention and headaches and anger and all this stuff. Well, what, 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 what do we see when we work with kids? Parents come in and they have the homework wars. And he's having problems, you know, learning and he can't remember. And, oh, it's pure hell doing homework because he's angry. Well, there's that right brain frustration stuff. Right. So when we train the brain and the brain calms down, voila. Attention improves, and I suspect—I'm not sure—but I suspect that some of these, uh, some of the variants in these uh, IQ increases, are due to affective regulation. Right. Uh, we can train attention. We can train in the front of the brain directly. We can train integration. We can train, you know, uh, abstract thinking. But I, I believe that people, when people get out of their own way, their exactly. natural intelligence comes forward, and we've seen it over and over again, and, and we can measure it. Yeah, it's so much of what I think of it as just simply. I mean, clearly, if a brain is anxious, it's not going to pay attention well. If it's depressed, it's not going to pay attention well. If it's you know not sleeping well, it's not going to pay attention well. There's so many things that can impinge upon a brain's capacity to cognitively function and focus. And so, yeah, I, I do think of so much of it is helping the brain get out of its own way. And, and we, can, we can help people focus. You know, someone from the old country um, told me a, a little proverb his mother told him. He says, his mother said to him in the native language, if you don't have a brain in your head, you'll have one in your feet. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want scattered activity. We want focused activity. Go yeah, on. Exactly. 
Exactly. Well, departing just slightly from from this whole topic, I just kind of want to touch upon this, um, Mark, because uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, your health these days. You seem to be looking and feeling uh, really good, dude. Yeah, well, other than uh, struggling with a cold, I guess I'm human too. Uh, you know, at age 57, I'm in better shape and better health than I ever remember being. That's and amazing. I, I struggled for years trying to attain this elusive thing called moderation. Yeah. And I, I guess around 40, I approached that, and, and not just from getting old and tired. No, I'm, I'm, I'm young and energetic. But uh, several things helped me. Uh, neurofeedback, for sure, because it helped me get self-regulated. Absolutely. I, I sleep well. I go to sleep. I sleep all night. I wake up refreshed most of the time. I sleep when I'm tired. Um, I, I stop eating after enough. You know, I, I was I was raised by my dad to be an endurance eater. <laughs> yeah. you know, and my, my dad said, son, make sure the buffets lose money on you. Yeah. And having a Jewish mother, you know, helped that effort too. Yes. I'm not blaming it on them. I'm, I'm just saying I, I struggled with this. And uh, neurofeedback <clears throat> really helped me control my appetites. And, you know, your your work and your book helped me immensely. I, I mean, for crying out loud, I've lost 40 pounds. That is amazing. You know, I, I, I wrote the introduction uh, to your book. I, I mean, I wrote the forward, and I figured, gee, I, I better start following this. And it's really cool, <laughs> you know. It looks so, good on paper. I wonder if it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, you know, to, uh, quite candidly, a, a lot of it I had followed for years anyway because I, I just – have not been interested in junky food for, for many years, but uh, really limiting carbohydrates, uh, really eating uh, foods is, is natural to you know to what grows and, and walks around. Uh, having good fats, good oils, and eliminating sweets—huge uh, difference in my life. I mean, yeah, just wonderful, and I, and I thank you so much for that. It's your, oh, your, yeah, your work you're has so been, so welcome. I periodically get these emails from you, and um, it it just it tickles me uh, to no end. Has it been? Have you? Uh, has it been particularly hard for you? No, no, no. <laughs> and you know that's that's actually one of those things that I'm. Um, no, no, no. I Nora, I'm really Nora. accustomed actually to hearing that it is not particularly hard. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, listen, listen here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I grew up in the South Bronx, right? And I was a wimpy kid. But you know, then the old right brain vigilance kicked in, and I became tough, right? But you know what? I'm weak. <laughs> I'm a weak, self-indulgent, spoiled person. Right? Mark and. I, I don't. I don't do things that are hard. I do things that are pleasurable. But the thing is, when you get self-regulated, when you get the right information, when you get goodness and purity and love and natural stuff, it tastes good. Right. It's fun. Right. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not a martyr here, and I, I'm not a Spartan, you know. And and uh, I, I, I indulge, but it's it's just really so cool, <clears throat> you know, to eat one entree and, and to stop in the middle of it if I'm not hungry anymore and you know life life is about more than food but it's important to have a good relationship with food a sane relationship it's important to have a good relationship with your your mind and body it's important to move and then you have the you know the energy and wherewithal to connect and relate to other people because relationships are where it's at yeah yeah 
I'm curious. Does your doctor have anything to say about all this? <laughs> well, <clears throat> my my doctor took me off blood pressure medication a while ago. Nice. And and uh, I, you know, frankly, um, I, I don't I don't see him that often. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of the old sure George Burns. You. George Burns. So, you know, George Burns was in his nineties. Someone interviewing him said, "You you smoke, you 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 drink, you chase women. You, you know, what does your doctor say about this?" And George Burns, Burns chomped on his cigar and he says, "He's dead." <laughs> no, no, my, my my doctor is alive and well, and I don't see him that often, and uh, we love each other, and you know, let's let's hope it. And continues. hopefully, you'll see him less. Yeah, but over time. But, uh, but you know, you know, I was talking about probabilities and influencing choice. Yeah. So when you're regulated, you eat better, and when you eat better, you get more regulated and sleep better. That's right, and more regular. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for coming on the show and talking about something so important. Not to mention sharing your personal experience with some of the principles in my book. I, I really appreciate you doing that. You're very kind. Thanks for having me, and bless you for your work. You are so welcome. And for the rest of you, um, I have an incredibly special treat for you next week. Not long ago, I saw a documentary that's been described as Super Size Me Meets Northern Exposure. <laughs> the name of this documentary was My Big Fat Diet. And in this film... Um, 100 native residents of Alert Bay, British Columbia on Vancouver Island participated in a year-long study where they basically eliminated carbohydrates, moderated their protein intake, and ate a majority of their calories from fat. Sound familiar? Well, the results are going to blow you away. The researcher overseeing the study was Dr. Jay Wardman. He's a physician from northern Alberta who is a recognized authority on low-carbohydrate ketogenic diets for the treatment of obesity, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes. Dr. Jay Wartman is going to be joining us next week to explore the story behind My Big Fat Diet and what the remarkable findings in his research can mean to all of you who want to lose weight or dramatically improve your health. I am just really psyched about this. It's going to be great. So uh, I danced and high-fived and, and I cheered when I watched My Big Fat Diet, and you're all going to do the same when you hear what Dr. Jay Wartman has to say when he's here on Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio next week. So until then, everybody, remember, if it wouldn't look like food to someone wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, it's not food for you now either. My name is Nora Gaganis, and you've been listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you all next week.